0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you want to be a part of this program, then please give me a call on the listener hotline. That number is 303-832-0217. That number one more time, 303-832-0217. Seven. The link to that phone number is also in the description of this show, as are all the contact links for me, including a WhatsApp number. So if you're overseas uh, in the uh, great beyond, because we do have listeners, I do call it the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, and we do have listeners around the world. So thank you for that, and you could always contact me on uh, any of those links, including the old WhatsApp. The push to anonymous vehicles continues to move forward. But what will be first? Self-driving personal cars, ride share, buses, delivery vehicles, semi-trucks? Well, the company ID Tech X says autonomous trucks make the most compelling case for automation in heavy-duty vehicles. Now, I found that information to be fascinating, so I invited Dr. James Jeffs to come back here on the show and talk all about it. Dr. Jeffs received his Ph.D. at the University of Warwick, focusing on thermal management for electric vehicles using complex heat pump systems. Well, he's joining me from England right now. As I said, world-famous Dr. Jeffs, welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast.
1: Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me
0: back. All right. So in uh, it, it was about this time last year, episode number 214, that you and I talked about your prediction that human driving would be outlawed in 25 years. You also said that autonomous cars would match or exceed human safety by 2024. Well, with one year behind us now, since that time, do you still feel that way? Uh, In some ways, yes.
1: Um, You know, we've since then, we've tracked the performance of the autonomous cars running around California and they have improved. Uh, so the way we measure it is by looking at the num- the average number of miles they can manage before the safety driver has to take over. So there's you know thousands of vehicles now running around California, racking up millions of miles in testing each year. Most of them still have a safety driver behind the wheel. The vast majority still do. And occasionally the car's going to do something unpredicted, or you know a lot of the time it's actually another driver doing something unpredictable nearby, and the the safety driver has to intervene. We call that a disengagement. Um, Last year when I spoke to you, the top three had an average performance of 30,000 miles per disengagement, roughly. So, you know, the the average U.S. driver drives something like 15,000 miles per year. Mm -hmm. That means, on average, a U.S. driver could go in one of these vehicles for two years without ever having to touch the wheel. Wow. And that would be safe. Yeah. (laughs) This year?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you would think so. Yeah.
1: Uh, this year, the average has gone up to around uh, 45,000 miles per disengagement. So roughly an improvement of uh, 1.5 times. That rate has actually slowed down compared to the previous year, which does put back the estimates a little bit. So it will take a little bit longer now to catch up with human drivers. But the progression is still going. And a lot of that reduction or the not so much a reduction, but the the slowing down of the progress has come from... Um, one company dropping out the top 10 who had previously tested in uh, quieter regions and had moved heavily into San Francisco. Um, But one of the reassuring things that came out of it was uh, Cruise is now the leader according to those metrics and they have always tested heavily in San Francisco and they manage something like 50,000 miles per disengagement. Um, So the performance keeps coming; it keeps growing, uh, growing almost exponentially. So, hopefully, next year we'll see the pace return to what it was before. We'll see another doubling, and then uh, the year after that is when you start getting very close to human levels of performance. If we can double one or two more times, um, yeah, we, we can see some some serious improvements in uh, autonomy performance.
0: I, I was going to ask this question later, but but you since you brought it up with human drivers, do uh, does does automation uh, an autonomous vehicle does it deal with a situation where, let's say, a human driver? So I'm sure you've driven on on the roads there in the UK, and, and you're driving, and and somebody won't. You're trying to merge, and somebody won't let you in, or you're in a bus, and the bus driver is trying to merge over a lane, and some j- driver doesn't let the bus driver move in. Uh, how does autonomous vehicles deal with a situation where there's a human driver in an autonomous vehicle trying to talk to each other, but the human's a jerk? Uh,
1: it's something that comes <laughs> up occasionally, yeah. Uh, I, I think different autonomy companies handle it quite differently. I've, I've heard reports. It's not something I've experienced. Uh, you know, Most of the time, I, I'm dealing with statistics rather than hands-on experiences. Um, but I have heard reports that some of them can be surprisingly aggressive for a machine um pushing into to gaps that maybe a less confident driver wouldn't push into um I, I think by default they're probably going to be more patient so if there is that that driver that really won't let you in they're probably just going to have to sit back and, and wait for a, a nice driver to come along um but certainly human behavior is is one of the biggest challenges and i wrote about it last year i i, I spent a good few days reading through all of the crash statistics um or the crash reports from California. So, you know, every time one of these autonomous vehicles is involved in a collision, uh, the company has to report it. And there were quite a lot that were, you could put the crash down to just the poor performance of a human driver. Uh, You know, there were some interesting ones, like the autonomous car just getting rear-ended. And the the theory there is that the driver behind is curious and trying to get closer (laughs) and see what's going on and then just has a a mistake. Um, See, some quite humorous ones as well Uh, so there was an occasion where an autonomous car pulled up behind uh, a regular car and the regular car had its reverse lights on and the the driver ahead managed to reverse to within three feet of the vehicle stop and then reverse into it Um, (laughs) so yeah you get the occasional odd one and then you get some ones you, you look at and think wow an autonomous car just couldn't do that so there was a crash from a driver who was evading the police there was a, a crash from a driver who um, went over a red light. Those kinds of situations, where you think if, if the autonomous system is performing care, uh, as it should, then you know an autonomous system shouldn't be involved in a high speed chase with the police. That's not. That should be something that you can program out and never have it happen.
0: Uh, unless uh, the computer is you know going crazy and decides that it wants to do something bad. It has now had full self realization, and then it. <laughs> it wants to live on the wrong side yeah. of, the, of the law.
1: <laughs> Possibly, but I think that's I think that's beyond our design at the yeah. minute to make a computer that sophisticated.
0: Oh, and the reverse thing reminds me of some of those insurance scams that you see from Russian dashcam videos, where somebody's reversing just to uh, pretend that it was a rear-end collision, but it was the person driving into the person uh, that was ahead of that was that uh, that yeah. came right to mind. All right,
1: and you've got to you know wonder how that would be possible with an autonomous car just you know mistaken forward for backwards or you know autonomous car hopefully will never try an insurance
0: scam Right. Uh, My guest is Dr. James Jeffs. He's a technology analyst at ID Tech X. You can read all about this, uh, uh, this study in the description of this show, because in this new ID Tech X report, it's titled Heavy Duty Autonomous Vehicles 2023 to 2043 Trucks, Buses and Robo Shuttles. And that link is in the description of the show. It has found significant activity, in the autonomous, heavy-duty, and commercial vehicle space. So let's look at autonomous trucks. Why do you think they make the most compelling case for large autonomous vehicles?
1: Um, Well, not only large autonomous vehicles, I think they they could possibly make a more compelling case over the robo-taxis as well. And the main reason is it it makes a lot of sense, especially what they're trying to deploy on. Um, So all across the globe, we've got driver shortages, uh, can't get enough lorry drivers, can't get enough trucks on the road. All across the globe, we've got increase in the demand for freight, um, more e-commerce, more online shopping, uh, you know, more supply moving across the country. And typically a, a country's GDP correlates with its ability to move freight. It's a really important part of our economy. Uh so there's huge demand to get more trucks on the road. That's that's the first part. Second part is the way it's being deployed is on interstates and freeways and highways. Roads that are separated from pedestrians, separated from cyclists, uh, don't typically have stoplights and stop signs. Traffic flow is in one direction. Um, no crossroads. None of those really challenging things that you find in cities for uh, autonomous taxis to deal with. And that really limits uh, the operational design domain. Um, so the operational design domain is, is what engineers call sort of the the set of rules that a vehicle can operate in so it's the the environment that it can operate in the roads that it can go on the uh lighting requirement the amount of daylight the weather requirement etc and the more you can limit that the more you can simplify it the more challenges you remove if you, you if you can simplify the OGD it, it just makes the whole challenge of automating much easier and that's what operating on highways and and interstates does it, it reduces the ODD significantly compared to cities and it makes it a lot more achievable. So we've seen a lot of testing, especially in the Sunbelt region, you know, uh, Texas through to Arizona especially, lots of companies on the road, um, mostly with safety drivers behind the wheel. But we saw a company called Too simple last year run a test from Tucson in Arizona to Phoenix Um, without any human intervention so the the semi was uh, tasked with leaving one distribution center taking the roads to another one it took an 80 mile trip Uh, no intervention at all and uh, the you know the other part of it is we're seeing a lot of commercial testing so a lot of the leaders people like too simple and waymo are being paid to move freight around autonomously but with a safety driver behind the wheel um, and obviously, with such a high demand for freight moving, it's it's easy to see how that activity and then proving that you can do it without a safety driver on in, in some trials, um, you can really start to get these routes off the ground quite soon. Um, so a lot of the companies we look at are saying sort of 2024 to 2026 for deployment in the Sunbelt region. Um, so that's, that's another part of it. So, so far, we've got it makes a lot of sense because we're running out of truck drivers. Uh, It's achievable because we're seeing it happen. It makes business sense because we've already got sort of commercial and semi-commercial testing happening. Um, And then there's the fact that it can improve, it it improves delivery times and it improves uh, uptime of the vehicle and sort of profitability per vehicle because drivers have a limit. You can't drive 24-7 as much as you might like to. there's, There's laws in place that say, I think US drivers are limited to 11 hours in a 14 hour period, something like that per day, Um, that limit doesn't exist for autonomous. So an autonomous vehicle can travel twice as far as a human driver in the same time. And, you know, there's, if you think about that, there's some really good business cases for doing that. So it means in an 11 hour limit, a human driver has a range limit of about 600 miles, say something like that. Let's say it's 600 miles. Um, that means if they need to do a seven hundred mile journey, it's going to take them two business days to complete it. And they can they can do the first six hundred on on day one, and then they have to do the remaining one hundred on day two. Um, but an autonomous vehicle would be able to deliver that two hours later on the on the first day. Um, and you know, there's lots of trips across uh, across the US that are several hundred miles that that fall into that category. You've then got the really big trips, something like Maine to Los Angeles, something that's going to take human driver the best part of a week to complete. Whereas a autonomous truck running 24 seven could do it in less than three days. That might be the difference between sending it on air freight or sending it on the road and cutting costs that way. So there's a, a lot of business cases to it. Then there's the stuff that you might not think about, like autonomy should be safer, right? That's what we're going for. We're saying that uh, you know, my previous report said outlawed by 2050 because it would be so safe you wouldn't possibly risk a human driver on the road. Um, if you can cut the number of accidents, you keep up time with the vehicles again. You, you increase the uptime if you can, you know, protect against unforeseen damage and unforeseen repairs. That increases your fleet uptime. So there's so many reasons that autonomous trucking makes a lot of sense.
0: It's really fascinating. Uh, all those points that you just made is there also any truth to technology advances in uh, semi trucks or in the trucking industry that haven't yet been put into cars because of all these advantages of semis being autonomous first before that we, before we see it with uh personal passenger cars?
1: Um, so in terms of the, the personal aspect, there's, There's the same trickle down effect in um, the autonomous trucking as you see in sort of the OEM testing on on personal car side. And that's the companies that are pursuing level four autonomous trucking are are making these sensor suites and making this technology. And it's it's getting trickled down to um, trucks that can be bought by fleet operators and then human drivers will benefit from that as well. So, you know, we talked about uh, these trucks being deployed first on interstates and freeways obviously that doesn't account for all of trucking and the way it will it will start out will be there there'll be certain routes that are autonomous ready and the the truck will be able to go driver free on those routes but for the rest of the time it's going to have to be driven by a human and during that time there has been work on um you know sort of ADAS for trucks advanced driver assistance systems for trucks and helping the driver still and and certainly driver assistance for trucks is coming along. In terms of that technology getting to consumer vehicles, I'm not sure if it makes that transition. I think they tend to operate quite separately. Um, but we do see the OEMs who are pursuing uh, high-level autonomy, uh, some of that trickling down to consumer vehicles. So uh, the Mercedes S-Class, for instance, is getting level three certification in Germany. So That's quite a a new and big step because the industry has been stuck at level two for a long time. So we are now starting to see level, level three emerge. And, you know, it's hard to attribute that jump to what work Mercedes and Daimler have done elsewhere in their autonomy projects.
0: My guest is Dr. James Jeffs. He's the technology analyst at ID Tech X. We're talking about the report that he has out called Heavy Duty Autonomous Vehicles 2023-2043 2020, Trucks, Buses, and Robo Shuttles." And you can read that, get to it uh, from a link that's in the description of this show. Uh, do you see a time where these trucks are going from hub to hub, not just necessarily I, – I, I, they, they'll have to stop for fuel in some way – when they're coming let's say from new york to los angeles but maybe they you have a uh, a tractor that's going with the trailer going from one hub to the next hub to the next hub to the next hub and then you'll have local drivers maybe human local drivers taking it that last mile
1: oh yeah i, I definitely think that's the way it'll be um certainly to start with possibly in the long term as well and um you know one of the things one of the oppositions to autonomous trucks is the existing truck drivers think it could take away from their jobs um i see it as actually bringing possibly bringing more truck drivers in because you'll be able to f- fulfill those really unpleasant journeys those you know main to la the kind of journeys that is going to keep you away from home for a couple of weeks at the time keep you away from your family uh if you can replace those those really long journeys with autonomous trucks you do create you know that that truck isn't going to finish at a distribution center. You're right, it has to do a last mile. It has to get from the outskirts of a city into the city or into the surrounding areas. And that might change truck truck drivers' roles from these people that cross the country to a much more local job. So um, you'll be able to have truck drivers operating much closer to their city. It'll be a, a day job where they can drive out to the distribution center, do a day's work, and then drive back home to see their families.
0: And really, you could, if you have to have some kind of monitoring, I would imagine there would have to be some type of monitoring, almost like the military does when they're using those drones. They have one person in a room that's controlling the drone or several of them at one time. You could have just a room, a call center, if you will, with a truck driver monitoring one or two or a dozen trucks on the roads at any one time and being able to take control if they really need to, right?
1: Yeah, that's the um, called the teleoperation side of it, uh, the remote monitoring, the remote operation. And I, I think for a long time, that's going to be a big part of it. I mean, a, a few years ago, the uh, CTO of Cruise, a guy called Carl Vort, was talking about uh, teleoperations for his cruise vehicles in San Francisco. And he said that they... Um, they get used quite regularly. I can't remember exactly how often they come into an issue, but uh, quite regularly they'll, they'll come across something. I mean, especially in San Francisco, I had the fortune of driving around there uh, last week. A lot of roadworks, a lot of tight roads, a lot of unexpected behaviour. Um, and the way crews deal with it is the uh, they have a teleoperator monitoring the vehicles. The vehicle reports that it's come into contact with something that it doesn't know how to deal with possibly some roadworks, possibly a poorly parched lorry, something like that. Um, And it will send like a a distress call to the um, teleoperation centre and then an operator can drop some waypoints on the road as the vehicle pictures it to guide the vehicle where to go. And obviously it will be learning from that as well. So it will be able to record, oh, in this situation, this is the kind of behaviour that I need to do. Same thing will be in place for trucks. Um, And yeah, across the industry, we see it range from that kind of supervisory level interaction with uh, to more um, direct interaction as well so there are some companies where if the vehicle gets into trouble they actually have um, simulated controls back at a teleoperation center they've got a wheel and pedals at a desk and they can take direct control of the vehicle so there'll be those additional jobs as well where yeah you probably it probably won't be one-to-one supervision because then that's that's not hugely better than just having truck drivers on the road. Um, but maybe one supervisor could be responsible for for ten vehicles, or you know, there'll be a, a person-to-fleet size ratio. That I, I guess it, it depends on how often the vehicle needs help. If if it, you know, if they don't need help very often, you don't need many supervisors.
0: It's pretty interesting thinking about this, and as as you mentioned just a moment ago, how Daimler is working on Mercedes is working on their autonomous system. Well, uh, all the automakers are working on their own autonomous system. Is it, having all these different companies working on autonomy independently from each other making it dif- difficult for these trucks? or any of the vehicles to work together on the roads at the same time. Basically, uh, so it it doesn't matter if I drive a Chevy and you drive a VW, we are the human operators. So it doesn't really matter what vehicle we're driving, but each company is making their own uh, autonomous system in those vehicles that's driving the vehicle. So are they doing it in different ways that could be a problem or are they able to work together on the roads at the same time?
1: yeah, I kind of, I, I see what your point is. Um, I I guess the answer is that everyone's working to the highway code. That's their standard that they're trying to meet. And I mean, that's the idea for drivers, isn't it? We, we read the highway code, we understand the rules of the road, and then we can all get along. Um, I would guess that coming up against, if if I'm Waymo and I come across a cruise vehicle, it's going to behave in a more predictable way than some drivers might behave. Uh, that's yeah. I think that's what I would say. That, yeah, I think they'll be less worried about coming across auto- other autonomous companies and more worried about coming across um dangerous drivers.
0: Because you know, Volvo was working on their own, and you mentioned Mercedes mm-hmm. and General Motors, and, and they all have their own system and, and they're all at different levels of autonomy, as you said, that Mercedes uh is is has theirs going to level three well gm is trying to get to that point but they're not quite there waymo is getting to that but they're not quite there so everybody's at different levels of where the autonomy should be and they're not sharing yeah. their their information because they all want it to be you know their own stuff it, it seems like there could be conflict points where you have some vehicles at some levels and others at, at other levels
1: Yeah, you know, i see i I think one of the biggest conflict points is going to be for the drivers and really understanding what their car can do. Um, you know, when when there was no systems in the car, we understood what it could do. It, would, it, it wouldn't do anything for us. We had to drive it. We had to control the speed. We had to control the steering. And, you know, there's instances when cruise control came out many, many years ago of people misinterpreting what cruise control could do for the car. Um, and that misinterpretation is, is still going on. And I think, yeah, I think that the biggest kind of compatibility issue is, is really getting the driver to understand what the car's capable of and when. Um, so I have been fortunate enough to drive a, uh, BMW X5 prototype vehicle on the German Autobahn that had a a level three system. And we were able to use the level three system because it was on a, a, you know, designated part and it was a prototype vehicle, um, and a lot of that work in that prototype was understanding how to communicate with the driver that it's in autonomous mode. You don't need to look at you know look at the road anymore. You can take your eyes off the road and do, do what you want. Um, but then also communicating that the part of the road that the system will work on is about to end, is about to drop back to manual driving, and you need to free take control. Um, it's those tasks as we move from you know, being part of the system to not being part of the system. Where we're we're sometimes part of the system, we're sometimes responsible for driving, we're we're sometimes not responsible for driving, or most of the time in in our level two cars, where it feels like the car can drive for us. So I've got a uh, Volvo V90. It has a, a very nice pilot assist function. I think it's called. Um, it will steer on motorways. It will do pedals on motorways. Um, you know, control the speed, and you feel. That you could on a on a good stretch of road with clear lines, you feel like you could take your hands off the wheel and and that would be fine. Um, obviously, you can't do that because that's not what the law is. But you know, for some who who like, unlike me, who don't keep track of the laws, don't know the ins and outs of what these systems are capable of and what you're legally allowed to do with them. I think it could be conc- it can be quite confusing, quite misleading about you know what are these systems capable of and what can i use them for
0: but but on on the autobahn especially isn't that a, a highway that that you really want to drive it yourself you want to hold the wheel you want to feel yourself hitting the gas you want to feel the road under you you don't want to have the car drive for you i mean that's that's one of the most iconic roads in the entire world where you want to drive it right
1: well, this uh, this was the autobahn around Hamburg, which is uh, a restricted part within the city. But yeah, I think there's a a lot of a lot of Germans probably wouldn't use that feature on the unrestricted autobahn.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would think so. Uh, yeah. Will autonomy, especially in the trucking industry, as we as we talked about a little bit ago. It's probably going to lower prices, right? It's probably going to bring down the costs if we have fewer drivers, if we have more efficiency, if we're doing it in one day instead of having to take two days. It's probably going to lower the prices of all the goods they deliver, and that's probably good for everybody.
1: Yeah, so uh, it's quite a few cost lowering aspects of it. Firstly, there's yeah removing the driver, so. Um, from what we've seen of the commercial testing so far, and people that are releasing final uh, financial statements, it looks like the going rate for autonomous freight is going to be right at the bottom end of what you could expect to pay for today's freight. It's um, getting towards sort of one one fifty dollars, one dollar fifty per mile, um, like for the whole vehicle. Uh, compared to a range of sort of $1.50 up to up to $4 um, and that cost savings going to be coming from removing the driver obviously the driver is a huge part of the operational costs when you talk about freight the freight industry as a whole like we mentioned um, going from Maine to Los Angeles if you can do that over the road in a time period that works for you and you don't need to use air freight that's going to cut some of your costs and then there's the unforeseen stuff if you can eliminate accidents you eliminate repair costs and you eliminate well you severely reduce insurance costs so you've got those cost savings as well so yeah there's there's going to be cost savings um from a few aspects and and not all so immediately obvious
0: well and speaking oh. and, and speaking of that don't autonomous vehicles do you think they might get better gas mileage under the piloting of a uh, of a of a computer because if you have a dry a human driver, right? It, just like I said, you want to feel the the car on the autobahn. You want to hit the gas. Well, you're probably not going to need as much frequent maintenance. You're not going to be uh, having somebody with a lead foot. If you're if you're an autonomous truck, you're, you're not going to be riding the brakes as hard. So there's probably less maintenance. There's probably better fuel efficiency for the whole trip.
1: Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Actually, the uh, from what I've seen, most people are claiming sort of a five to ten percent increase in fuel economy. And that's mostly, I think most of that is coming from being a less aggressive driver. Um, but some of that's from the planning as well. So with the the cameras on the roof, some of these autonomous trucks can see up to a mile down the road in detail. And they can see if the vehicle, if vehicles are stopped a mile down the road and they can lift off the gas much earlier if they see that uh, traffic's coming to a halt or they can um you know, manage their speed a lot better to minimise fuel consumption. So there's that kind of superhuman aspect of it that that we just can't cope with or can't achieve. We can't have that much uh, or or process that much information that far down the road. But these autonomous awesome systems do have the the cameras and the sensors to do that and the processing power to understand what's happening.
0: It just triggered my uh, an, a conversation I had with uh, somebody from TomTom Tom not too long ago. And mm-hmm. where you could all have their data or, or ways, or, or any of those systems have their data integ- in, integrated with a the autonomous truck, so they would already have that flow information in the truck. So it knows that there is that uh, traffic jam, not just what it can see it a mile down the road because of the LIDAR, but five miles or 10 miles or 20 miles down the road and maybe takes an alternate route so it keeps on moving instead of sits in the traffic jam and waste fuel and it can keep on moving
1: yeah and uh you know that's something the whole industry the whole automotive industry wants to move towards and having connected vehicles um and the the applications of connected vehicles go go a lot beyond uh traffic management so to start with yeah you you'd be able to really accurately using maps and using connected vehicles measure where everyone is on the road how fast they're moving um, even knowing where they're going if you, if, you know if half the people have destinations put into their maps then you might be able to use that data to spread people's journeys or get get people on different routes to um, minimize traffic but it also gives you opportunities like um, uh, traffic light control and, and having traffic lights connected with vehicles to understand where the flow of traffic is and be able to better manage the, the phasing of traffic lights or doing um, traffic light priority. So that's something I've seen talked about at conferences before where, say, buses and emergency vehicles get get priority over the traffic lights. The traffic light knows that that vehicle type is coming. It, it changes to let that flow of traffic through. Um, and then if you can combine it with... Uh, this is where it starts to get possibly a bit invasive. But if you could combine it with locations of smartphones, and that's something people are talking with, you start to understand the flow of human traffic and be able to predict the flow of human traffic near road traffic and improve your your safety
0: that way. But as we talked about, we probably wouldn't have these semi-trucks driving in cities. We wouldn't have them at stoplights. We, I talked just a couple episodes back with a company called Light, spelled L-Y-T, mm. And what they do is they're trying to use their technology to uh, uh, get a better flow or priority for uh, buses so it can keep the transit moving better through traffic lights and the same thing with emergency vehicles because seconds count when it comes to first responders getting to somebody who's having a heart attack or choking or a stroke or something like that if they can get through the traffic lights faster there are systems with the strobe lights on the top of an ambulance or a fire truck that can trigger the traffic light or the signal to change the light uh, to from, from red to green but if uh, the signal knows that the traffic can be pushed away because the fire truck is coming a mile back and have that all cleared, then they can keep on rolling a lot faster.
1: Yeah, so th- you're right. that th- We still won't have the autonomous trucks in-, in cities, but trucks will need to go into cities, and we can use those technologies to benefit human drivers as well and benefit human truck dr- drivers. And it should be to benefit um, all drivers. There-, there should be applications available you know, uh, for all new this is idealistically speaking we should work towards getting connectivity and these safety critical applications for all new vehicles so not only does the traffic light know that there's an ambulance coming every driver around that junction knows that there's an ambulance half a mile away that's going to be coming through the intersection um because that's that's the ambulance's route uh th- i mean the main difficulty here is we're talking about new technologies that are going to that we want to benefit the entire fleet of cars so it'd be ideal if everybody at the crossroads knew but you know you drive around a city some some cars on the road are 15 20 years old it's, it's going to take a long time for those technologies to roll out so you know even if every new car tomorrow was sold with these connected vehicle safety critical applications um it's probably going to take 15 20 years for the fleet to catch up
0: yeah my, my wife's car is 10 years old my car is nine years old and we try to We're going to plan on keeping them for as long as we can and keep them going. So, yeah, it's going to take some time to burp out the system, if you will. My guest is Dr. James Jeffs, technology analyst at ID Tech X. We're talking about uh, their report titled Heavy Duty Autonomous Vehicles 2023 to 2043 Trucks, Buses, and Robo Shuttles. You can uh, read it right now uh, from the link that's in the description of this show. It's one thing to use autonomous trucks Uh, to deliver we saw this here in Colorado in fact uh, cases of beer from the Coors Brewery they did a the secret run of an autonomous truck right during rush hour um, here in Colorado and it it seemed to work out just fine but it's another thing to ask people to get into a bus or get into a vehicle where there is no driver Uh, because I would think if you're Getting on a bus in a city somewhere, you want to see the driver behind the wheel because it gives you that assurance that if something goes wrong, they're right there.
1: Yeah, you know, the bus is a really interesting one because the driver is so important, not not just for driving the vehicle, but uh, they're a figurehead on the bus. They're the person of authority. They're in charge of making sure people have their tickets, making sure the bus is safe, helping uh, people with disability needs get onto the bus Um if there's any kind of altercation on the bus, when COVID was uh, at its peak, bus drivers were in charge of making sure everyone was wearing the mask that needed to wear their mask. Uh, so yeah, bus drivers have a huge role on the bus beyond driving, um, something that's really built up over uh, over the decades. And you know, buses used to have uh, a conductor and a driver, and the conductor would do all of that kind of stuff. And then it got rolled into just the driver, and it's it's actually quite a lot to ask the driver yeah. to do. So most of the people that are w- talking about autonomous buses don't foresee the driver being removed, um, certainly for a long time, because they expect the driver to transition from from a bus driver to um, I, I've seen some people call them bus captains or bus stewards or bus operators, um, but they'll you know eventually ideally stop well uh, ideally the system the autonomous systems will be safe enough and and safer than human drivers that bus drivers will uh, not need to drive anymore. And then they can take on those other more hospitality uh, responsibilities. But then, you know, if the bus driver is still on the bus, what are we gaining? And uh, the answer comes back to safety. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard uh, departments of transport just last week talk about trials of autonomous buses and what they see as the benefit of autonomous buses and the answer was mainly if you can eliminate all crashes um not only is that better because you know fewer people are injured and killed on the road uh but you reduce the cost you know a a significant amount of cost more than you might expect is taken up by uh buses and bus drivers having collisions and um I, i remember the person who was speaking on i think there were uh, Michigan DOT. Uh, they were looking at bus deployments around the Detroit area. Um, they were talking about the the system they have in Michigan where the most experienced drivers get to choose their bus route first. Mm-hmm. They get the first pick of the routes they want to do. So the most experienced drivers pick the nice easy routes, yeah, not sure. many people, open road, which means the least experienced people get the hardest routes, the the inter- city routes. And um, and that's just, just one source of, of how collisions can occur. It's you know putting the least experience on the, the most challenging routes. Um, but if you can eliminate that, you save downtime of the bus for unexpected repairs, you save costs, and those costs can be put straight back into um, the bus service. So it, it's quite conceivable you'd save enough money per year to buy some new buses, get new ro- routes opened, that kind of thing. So it's not so much about, you know, eliminating the driver and saving a lot of costs there, but improving the overall safety and, and using that saving to then expand your capacity and, and open routes that were previously not fiscally viable.
0: And, and not that there's much of a pay difference between, let's say, a conductor who would just be watching the passengers and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing or not getting into fights or or help getting them up and on the bus. But there could be a little bit of a pay difference uh, between a conductor and a driver. And then you also have maybe the advantages that we talked about with the trucks, where you have a computer driving the bus so it's not starting as hard. It's not braking Mm -hmm. as hard, so you have less maintenance. And uh, you're saving some costs that way.
1: Yeah, you get all of those benefits. And in terms of the jobs, it's... um know it's it's not something that bus drivers should be fearful of that autonomy is coming to buses um it's it's definitely going to in the long term redefine the role but the people that are you know departments of transport that are working on bus autonomous bus deployment are really considering what the changes to the um the recruitment and the job vacancies and you know the the kind of roles available what what those changes are going to be and that they're working on coming up with a, a list of jobs, and some of them are going to be brand new, that autonomous uh, buses are going to bring. Um, and yes, of course, you will we'll get the cost savings from the improved uh, efficiency as well. Then there's, there's some other things that autonomy can bring as well, like, for example, you can do really precise bus stops, it, it, it might sound um, a bit trivial, uh, but certainly in the short term, it's something that an autonomous system, you know if you ask it to put the bus in this precise location, it will do it every time. That's something that it can manage. What it can't manage or what is difficult for autonomy is looking around and predicting what humans are going to do. So in the interim period, that's kind of an application that might come. We can get these precise safe bus stops where the bus is moving itself into position and the driver is having a good look around the vehicle and making sure there's nothing the system is unaware of. And then the final benefit that it can bring is to depots. So, at the end of the day, all the buses go back to a depot and a few bus drivers have the the task of moving those buses around the depot, getting them to cleaning stations, getting them to refueling stations, getting them to maintenance stations, etc. If all of those buses were autonomous, they could move around the the depot on their own in a synchronized manner it wouldn't you know that's going to cut down on the people that you need inside the depots it's also going to cut down on um you know that's a one of the big causes of um collisions and, and incidents and accidents of uh, you know humans interacting with buses in depots in the dark and confined areas where they're walking between buses and there's buses moving down narrow channels it's a it's a brisk area that could be eliminated
0: My guest is Dr. James Jeffs, technology analyst at ID Tech X. Do you think it's more feasible for autonomous buses to use routes that are, let's say, a closed road that cars aren't a part of or or just short trips or... Uh, uh, or maybe just long haul routes like we were talking about with trucks. Like for for here in the United States, we have the Greyhounds that go from one city to another city. It, it, maybe it's better for those kind of routes where the bus driver is driving for ten or twelve hours from one city to another.
1: Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you know the majority of bus activity is going to be within the city that's that's really where you want to target it and that's that's probably where the majority of uh incidents that you want to reduce is going to happen um I think the the big intercity bus journeys might actually be quite difficult depending on what roads they use uh, you know unlike the um example with the autonomous trucks you can't have everybody meeting in a bus stop on the edge of the motorway in the middle of nowhere at a distribution center uh it's got to be it's got to come from an urbanized area so yeah those those long ones i would guess might be one of the last to be automated mainly because i don't think it will have the same appeal as in the same benefits because again removing the driver is going to be really difficult um but also I think it, it could be one of the most challenging. Uh, I mean, it's, it goes back to the operational design domain. Although cities are really difficult, it's a short, well-known trip. Uh, you know, it has a, a defined route. It can, You could start an autonomous bus working sort of a five-mile route, something that's, that's not going to be hugely tricky, um, rather than trying to cross the country and it's a different proposition from robo-taxis because a robo-taxi in a city needs to be able to go down every single road so that opens up the operational design domain but i think it you know the first ones are going to be a very well-defined short routes close to cities um but the dedicated bus route is is interesting so uh, a company called new flyer are testing in massachusetts um on a dedicated bus route between I can't remember what the cities are because my US geography isn't that good. I'm sorry.
0: It's
1: okay. uh, oh, no, actually, it's Connecticut. It's Connecticut okay. where they're testing. Um, but, yeah, it's on a, a separated, dedicated bus route. It's almost like having a train track for buses where they're the only vehicles on the road. Um, you can't have pedestrians walking down those roads. And, and it's the same as uh, the trucks. It really limits the operational design domain. You've removed pedestrians. You've removed crossings. You've removed other vehicles. You've removed stoplights etc the more you can do that the more you can segregate them from uh, public transport the easier it gets or from the public roads the easier it gets it's just that you know that that's good for testing and good for early deployment but it doesn't have long-term value because you can't turn a city into a dedicated bus route it, it would be much better if we can find ways for the autonomous systems to interact naturally within the
0: city yeah you have these uh, small buses these small shuttles uh Called robo shuttles in your report, and, and they mm-hmm. are one of the newest autonomous vehicles. It was about a, a year or so ago that I rode one of these things around the university or the Colorado School of Mines out in Golden, Colorado. Your your report talked a little bit about these vehicles, and, and it seems like they would be good for small, short, maybe small city routes rather than a big city route, because they because the vehicle only hold would hold. And we all had to sit down. We couldn't even stand up, even though they thought we could maybe in, in the future do that. It only held like six people, though.
1: Yeah. Um, it's it's a really challenging one because the vehicles look like they're going to have a lot of value. It looks like you'll be able to get a lot of people in them sat and standing. Um, that it will be very cheap because it's a very small vehicle and they're all of them are designed to be autonomous you you i don't think i've seen any that have a steering wheel and pedal in them yeah. you know I, i'm sure the one you rode was there a safety driver with like a guy with a joystick
0: yeah well he, he didn't even have a joystick he, he had an ipad or some sort and so he was just yeah, yeah he was just didn't he was just sitting in there and he made sure that we, at that time we had to have our mask on and that we would sit down and have our seatbelt on yeah
1: so i mean it it looks good right you've you've got all that you're maximizing the amount of people you can have in these these vehicles are smaller than the conventional car they're like four or five meters long uh yeah. usually narrow the conventional car but you can get uh like 16 to 20 people in them if you really maximize the occupancy the, the the trouble is they're just i i think it's very hard to do testing with them like you said everyone had to be seated when you did the tests mm-hmm. they also have more restricted top speeds, so most of them are going to be going sort of 50, uh, 10 to 15 miles per hour. Yeah, this one could whereas, go
0: 25 tops.
1: Uh, did it go 25 when you were in it? No,
0: it did not. 15 maybe, 15, 20 at best.
1: Yeah, so lots of them will have like claimed top speeds of 25, 30 miles per hour. Uh, some I've seen higher than that, but in reality, they're, not, they're just not allowed to travel that fast during testing at the moment. Um, and lots of them have very short testing routes as well. So most of the routes I see these vehicles getting tested on are sort of one to three miles, that kind of range, which might be okay. But at one mile, would you sort of walk to a stop to get this vehicle or would you just walk to where you're going?
0: Yeah, just walk. And it was a real jumpy ride because it – The computer system and the lidar and everything it was it didn't know everything so it, w- it was jumpy especially when it was getting closer to a stop because it didn't know if that was the curb that it was supposed to stop at or that line on the road was where it just it doesn't know anything just yet so it was yeah. just a real jumpy ride
1: so that's that's a similar experience to one i had about a year ago as well testing one out in hamburg um and from what I gather, it's not the experience that people are having in robo taxis. It seems that the the testing in robo taxis is, is is a lot more smoother, a lot less jumpy and jerky and unpredictable. And, um, and I, I think the biggest challenge for them is, it may sound obvious, but they're not cars, yeah. uh, and that gives you some really difficult restrictions when it comes to testing. So because they don't have a steering wheel and pedals, because they don't have wing mirrors and and other mirrors. Uh, you, you can't class them as a car. So they have a, a load of restrictions around that and what speeds they can do because they've got this guy with a joystick to take over rather than a robo taxi or an autonomous truck having a conventional set of, uh, you know, conventional steering wheel and pedals to jump in if things go wrong. That means you can take over at high speed. But can you imagine trying to take over from an iPad no. at 30 miles an hour? No. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. So you've got that challenge. And then you've got the challenge of the autonomous system as well. And, you know, they're, they're developing their autonomous systems, but typically they're not hugely well funded compared to the robo shuttles so sorry the robo taxis so waymo and cruise have in the region of five to ten billion in funding um you know and a lot of talent behind them these robo shuttle companies tend to be a bit smaller um and tend to be not as well funded so i i think it's you know it's just a bit more challenging for them to develop really Uh, high-performing autonomous systems Um, so yeah you've got that that challenge of it's not a car and it's autonomous it's going to make it more difficult to test and roll out they're usually quite short test routes and I think it's it's very difficult for them to show their true value until they can overcome that and test at full capacity test on routes that are five to ten kilometers long uh, test at full speed you know they they need to overcome these barriers to demonstrate that They are actually a a really good transport solution, but they're also, you know, they're they're going to get deployed in cities. They're not going to be an intercity solution, and they're competing with robo taxis, with conventional Mm taxis, bicycles, micro mobility, walking for short distance, buses, trams, trains. Yeah, motorbikes. There's a whole ecosystem in cities that they're trying to arrive at and be a new transport solution. And yeah, with the the they're not quite showing what they can do in testing, and it's hard to see where they fit into the ecosystem. I, I think it's just compared to autonomous trucks where we know what the demand is, we can see that they can do it, it's all very clear what the point is. At the moment, shuttles haven't quite shown what their true value is and that they can do a job that needs doing.
0: And it seems like these vehicles would be better suited for... A place like a theme park, like Disney World, or an airport parking lot, where it's basically a closed system, it's it's going to help you get from a short distance that you really don't want to walk. You could walk, but it's be a little bit more uh, easy for you if if you had the shuttle drive you uh, from the parking lot at work over to the. Main, let's say you have a huge campus where. Uh, whether it's apple or what you know you've heard about these places that have these huge yeah. campuses you know you park way out in a outer lot and and it just takes you eventually on into the main building
1: yeah something like that it could work for um and obviously the more we limit the operational design domain the easier the challenge becomes so airport parking like you mentioned uh, a great use case if you can replace those um small buses which are usually they're not hugely occupied you know you park your car at the airport you get in a bus there's like four other passengers in Mm -hmm. there you don't need a full-size bus for it um you could do it with a fleet of those and if you did it with a fleet it'd be more regular you wouldn't be waiting 20 minutes for the bus there'd Mm -hmm. be one every every few minutes so yeah there's opportunities like that that are really good um theme parks as well like you mentioned uh elderly residential areas it could be a really good one for them because you don't need to move particularly fast in those areas it's it's very well controlled you
0: can't take away their golf carts you can't do that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They, all they want to do is drive their golf carts. That, that's <laughs> I, I, maybe yeah. I don't know if you've heard about <laughs> this place called the Villages north of Orlando, but all the old people there that live in this retirement community, they all have their golf carts all tricked out. So now, now you're ruining the last best oh, years gosh. of their life.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't want to be accused of that. <laughs> uh, but it, so, yeah, but any environment where you can where you can really close it down, limit exactly what they're going to do. That's. Uh, the best use case to start with, I think. And, you know, maybe when they get more advanced, more mature, they will prove that, that they can do the full speed, they can do the high occupancy, they can run 10 kilometer routes, and we can see them being deployed in cities. I mean, it, it could be simple things like big train stations to more niche locations, right? Something like that.
0: Uh, I know I'm running out of time here. Um, th- there's only two things I wanted to – that didn't really fit into a, uh, a area of discussion. It was that uh, that Volvo – I did a story in the last couple episodes back that Volvo says they have a LiDAR. that can see something like 200 meters away. Uh, but I, I think it's more important to be able to see and identify, not just see something. Let's say it's a piece of rubber in the road. Let's say it sees that there's a de- piece of debris in the road. Well, you and I, when we're driving down the road, we can in a split second identify what it is. Just the other day, I was driving down the highway, and there was that. Uh, it was like a, uh, I don't know, like a caution tape. You don't know, like that yellow caution tape, but it was red, and it was all in a big jumble. Well, I, I don't know how well a lidar is going to identify that. I could within a second identify what it is, what if it's going to be a problem. How it's been floating around in the air, and my only concern was that it was going to get caught up under the wheel well and maybe get caught in the wheel system. Can can a computer act that fast? And and it, wouldn't somebody have to program all of that information into a computer, or would it have to learn over time that, that how to deal with those situations as as you and I can uh, almost innately do anyway as humans?
1: Um, so yeah, it's it's challenging. Small things, especially things that aren't very tall, being able to pick them up at distance uh, is is really challenging. Our um, eyes can do it, cameras can sometimes do it if they've got really good visibility and it's a high quality camera. Uh, LiDAR, it depends what it is, so your hazard tape that you saw, LiDAR is probably going to pick that up quite well because it, it'll be quite reflective. Um, a rubber tyre, not so reflective, which is difficult for lasers to pick up. So when you look at LiDAR performance, they always tell you, oh, it's 200 metres at 10% reflectivity or 20% rec- reflectivity, meaning that it's got to be, you know, a slightly shiny object for you to be able to to measure it. Um, radars it, it depends on what the thing is if it has a particularly strong radar reflection or not but adding volvo adding lidar to their vehicles is a, is another piece of the puzzle and um that's really going to help them out at, at night and detecting pedestrians at night because lidar is good enough resolution that it can p- detect pedestrians and identify them uh cameras obviously struggle with pedestrian detection at night and radars if you if you don't have like the, the bleeding tech of radar technology um, sometimes it's hard for radars to pick out pedestrians as well so that's why you want to be adding LIDAR to the mix um, and then in terms of you know how you program that how you get the system to recognize that uh, I think, I'm not exactly sure how Volvo do it or how anyone does it, uh, I mean I, I think there'll be different strategies for it so some will go down the route of let's try and program all the things that we can imagine and some will go down the route of let's uh, try and you know, come up with uh, enough testing on the roads that we try and see everything, which, you know, it's going to be difficult. That's why the robotaxis in, in San Francisco and California have done millions of miles in testing now and done billions of miles in virtual testing. So in virtual testing is another part of the puzzle. And there's, there's a heck of a lot of work going on at the minute um, around developing these virtual test beds. So companies, uh, you know, going out and saying, oh, we've got... A million different scenarios to test your vehicle in or we've got scenarios that are randomly generated and they're going to contain uh you know these new kind of obstacles that other companies randomly generated databases don't contain and you know i went to i saw some of these at a conference a little while ago and and one of them was talking about kids in fancy dress as something that no one had thought of doing before in their database And, and their database had kids in fancy dress or their database had um farm animals that might have escaped from local farms so there is all this you know people are trying to think of all eventualities and and put it into their programming um and obviously the only way to to do i think the only way that you could do it is digitally you know you you've got to be able to create this database that can test for as many different things as we can think of in the road but i mean it's never going to be perfect but we shouldn't let better be enemy of perfect you know right,
0: right we shouldn't
1: right. we shouldn't say oh yeah but what about this one edge case that has happened you know once a hundred years ago what if that happens you know, we've got we've got to try and just keep plodding along just keep just keep going for better
0: yeah uh, but a lot of these uh, i think most of the testing right now has been in it was good climates in, in San Francisco, as you said, they don't see snowstorms or Phoenix or Las Vegas and they're dry most of the time with maybe a little bit of fog in, in the Bay Area. Uh, Florida, Uh, Alaska where it snows, Colorado here where it snows, and you have altitude challenges uh, around the world, Manila or Pakistan where they have tremendous traffic jams with no lane lines on their roads and there's just people everywhere and kind of just driving however they drive. Tokyo has, you know, they're driving on the left like you do there in the U.K. and and So there's got to be these regional weather and other challenges to overcome as we're going to test these things out.
1: Yeah, weather is a huge part of it and, you know, weather is, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons that the, uh, like, Texas to Arizona is a real sweet spot for the autonomous trucking. It's it's just, you know, dry there, it doesn't rain much, uh, it doesn't get lots of fog or lots of snow, uh, not normally anyway. Um, that combined with uh, their kind of progressive views on on doing the testing as, as states and as regulators. Um and for the robo taxis going in, uh, working in San Francisco, I, I think um, San Francisco being the the foggy city uh, was quite a big reason for them testing there. Actually, so that they could see what the performance is like on those really foggy days that you can get in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, across the world, there's going to be lots of climates to test in. I mean, the the robo, the sorry, the autonomous truck companies are working on testing up north and starting to report on how their, their testing in more snowy regions is is going, uh, reporting sort of, I, I think one of them reported they they did some tests in Montana and they were stationary for about 5% of the time while they were waiting for the worst of the weather to pass. Um, but, you know, sometimes I hear that and think, okay, it's, it's not great that you were stationary for 5% of the time. It sucks that you had to stop and wait for the weather to pass. But then think about it again and think, would a human know to do that, or would a human try overestimate their ability? Oh no, we're going to try overestimate, and yeah,
0: and we're going to do exactly that. Yeah, we're exactly. just going to go motor on through.
1: So yeah, I think I think uh, we can agree that from a truck's behaviour, we'd rather it stop when the weather gets too bad than have a human try to carry on and end up putting the truck off the road. And then uh, you know, there's all your delays, there's all your costs, there's all your, your savings straight away. If the the truck can know. And, you know, that's a big thing about these autonomous systems is them being able to know their own capabilities and know it's, it's too rainy now. I need to stop. It's too rainy or it's too foggy. I need to stop. That's a big part of the safety, being able to um, self-quantitize your own abilities.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen those videos where there's 30 or 40 or 50 vehicles piled up because of fog and icy roads and... So the people yeah. they just they they're trusting themselves and then all of a sudden they're just going too fast for those conditions and they can't stop when there's a crash.
1: And so. even if the result of all this autonomous testing is that in a few years we get cars that say it's too snowy, you should slow down. You know, that could help. We're still in control of the car, but we've got some additional adv- advice that says the car thinks it's really snowy. You know, the car's measuring how much snow there is. It says that it's time to slow down. We slow down. Something like that could save lives.
0: Again, this uh, this uh, report. If you would like to read it, there's a link in the description. It's called "Heavy Duty Autonomous Vehicles: 2023-2043 Trucks, Buses, and Robo Shuttles" by ID Tech X. Dr. James Jeffs. I, I had a blast last time when we talked, and I had a blast again this time. So, thanks for all the information. Great conversation. Had a had a really good time. Uh, I appreciate all your insights.
1: Thanks very much, Jason, and I look forward to coming back again in the future.
0: It's, uh, that that was fantastic. Great stuff. Uh, and, and it's easiest for me to just direct you to the link, as I was saying in the interview, uh, to see the partial study that Dr. Jeffs released because the full version, all 403 pages or slides, as they say, of it, will set you back a little bit because it's for purchase only. The electronic copy... Uh, for 1 to 5 users, is going to cost you (laughs) $6,500. If you have 6 to 10 users, the price jumps to Uh, $9,200. I I might just um, do one and then share it with everybody. Uh, The electronic and one hard copy for 1 to 5 users is $7,200, and the electronic and one hard copy for 6 to 10 users is is just shy of $10,000. So if you have the money, sure, go ahead. If you have $10,000, enjoy as much as you like, or you can enjoy this interview for free, courtesy of me, your friendly neighborhood traffic guy, Jason Lubert. Yay! Yeah. Um, <laughs> So there you go. All courtesy, free of charge. Uh, Thanks again for being here, as it is every single week. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.